All right, good evening and welcome once again to discipleship class for the school year 2021. Amen. And um, what a year 2020 has been so far. I was talking to some folks uh, earlier this week and they were like, man, I'd be ready for 2021 to uh, uh, move on out of here and let's, let's get over into a new year. Well, you know, I'm, I understand, I guess, uh, part of that, but you know, the goodness of God is uh, for us, no matter where we are, what year it is, what's going on in the world around us. Amen. And so uh, I'm thankful for 2020. I believe that Father God has uh, still a lot that he desires to do among his people and through his people uh, in the uh, remaining months of this year. I, I always encourage um, uh, uh, people that I love and have the opportunity to serve and minister to, uh, you know, to finish the year strong. We get so motivated uh, in, in January with a, with a fresh calendar uh, to uh, you know, attack the year and all that we're going to do and all that we're going to change. And we're not careful, we'll kind of coast on in these last uh, couple of months or so. So let's finish strong. Let's finish uh, this semester together strong in discipleship class. And I believe that Father God has, again, some uh, great things in store for each of us. Hallelujah. Well. Amen. I'm giving you a few minutes to kind of get settled, and we, we start the, uh, the countdown. Uh, there's a little uh, elevator music that plays with that countdown, and obviously we've got the mics muted. You can't hear it, but it kind of gets me a little, little jazzed up. So, uh, but anyway, let's pray, and we'll get right into tonight's uh, lesson. Father, thank you for all that you are, for all that you've done for us, for, for all that you've given to us, for all that you've spoken to us, for all that you've said about us tonight, Father. Lord, what a gift, what a treasure um, your written word is, Father. But we know that your written word, Lord, is, is, is living and powerful because Jesus is the word of God and he is living and powerful. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, see and understand and embrace uh, mysteries tonight, mysteries of the spirit realm, Lord, mysteries of your kingdom. And I pray, Father, tonight that you would help us, Lord, not only learn from your word, learn about your word, but Father, tonight that we would learn to love and honor your word more than we've ever loved and honored it before. I thank you, Father, for the men and women that are tuned in with me right now. I thank you, Father God, for what you're doing in their lives. But Lord, even more so tonight, I thank you for what you're going to do through their lives because they're committing themselves and, and their time, Lord, uh, to, to these uh, lessons to grow and to learn so that they can benefit, yes, but also, Father, so that they would be better equipped to minister to others. So thank you, Holy Spirit. We submit to you as our teacher tonight. We thank you for leading and, and guiding and directing us. Think through my mind, speak through my lips. Make my spirit, soul, and body a window through which your wisdom can pass from eternity into time and space. I ask you and believe uh, that I receive utterance tonight, that I might speak your words, Father, with clarity, with understanding, and most of all, anointing. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and everybody said, wherever you may be listening right now, amen and amen. All right, let's begin tonight with a review, as is the you know, normal pattern. Uh, let's go back to 2 Corinthians. We're not going to look at, at all those verses that we've looked at a couple of times, but let's begin again in verse number 18. So if you have your Bibles tonight, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. I want you to uh, do something for me that may... Uh, feel a little silly, but more than likely, you know, you're with a small group of people or people that you know and love. Uh, maybe if you're riding down the road, obviously, this would be hard for you if you're listening in your car later through the podcast. But, um, but if you got your Bible, if you've already found your verse, just, you know, stick your finger in there, you know, wherever it is. But 
I want you to I want you to take your Bible. Now you say, Pastor, this is weird. You're asking us to do weird stuff. No, no. Just if you will take your Bible and I want you to kind of pull it up to your chest like this, and I, and I want you to give it a hug. Amen. I, I want you to I want you to give it a hug. Praise God. Um, my friend, I love this book. Uh, I, I I love uh, the wisdom of this book. I love the the instructions that this book, the the re, the, the revelation, the things that this this book, the Word of God. Uh, reveals uh, uh, to me, but, um, but more than anything, uh, I, I love uh, who this book is. Amen. And, and his love for me and his love for you to provide this for us, a precious, holy, sacred treasure. And I pray tonight that you will learn, I will learn to value the Word of God and give it a place of priority and importance and supremacy in our lives more than ever before. So praise God. All right, let's dig in here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, Now all things are of God. And this is referring to someone who's been born again. There's obviously verses that come before this, verses that come after this. We've talked about those already. So he jumps in here, verse 18. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Has reconciled means he has reestablished us back in a close relationship with himself. And he's done it not because of our good works, not because of our effort, not because we paid a lot of money, but because Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we could be reconciled back to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So tonight we're going to uh, continue. I didn't uh, go over this. Let me go back up. Tonight we're going to continue the word of reconciliation, part three. And if you'll notice some of our subheadings, skillfully applying the word, we're going to uh, look at that tonight and then hopefully we'll at least begin talking about the word of his power. The word of his power. Now that's not a typo. Uh, most of the time we say the power of his word. But I'm going to so, show you a passage in Hebrews where it doesn't say the power of his word but the word of his power and we'll explain what the difference is hopefully hopefully uh, before class is over um, tonight but we looked at these verses again in 2nd Corinthians 5 and 18 and 19 and we've been making the point that every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry and we see that because you have been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ that you've now been given the ministry of reconciliation and in order to be effective, equipped is a word the Bible uses at least a few times, to be equipped to be successful in the ministry of reconciliation, Father has committed His word of reconciliation to each of us. Now, we made some simple points from these verses last week. I'll review them now. We cannot do the ministry of reconciliation without the word of reconciliation. It's impossible. And there are a lot of very frustrated ministers in the world who are trying to help people, but through you know, philosophy, traditions, uh, religious bondage, legalism, um, you know, all these things, um, when what people need is the word of reconciliation. Why is that? Because the word of God is living and powerful. It's not just a book. Amen. I know some people talk about the man upstairs and the good book in reference to our... Uh, you know, holy God and 
uh, and the word that he's provided for us, okay? The man upstairs is the guy in the apartment above you that plays the music too loud, and, uh, and To Kill a Mockingbird is a good book. This, my friend, is the holy, living, powerful word of God. This book is alive. It's the only book you'll ever read that'll read you back. You may not understand the Bible, but I've got good news for you. The Bible understands you, okay? So the Word of God is living and powerful, sharp than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerner of thoughts and intents of the heart. We've also looked just real quickly, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17, where all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice this last verse again. That the man of God may be complete, not just equipped, but thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, obviously the ministry that you've been given is the ministry of reconciliation. It's the word of reconciliation that equips you to do that ministry. One last um, passage for review. 2 Timothy 2 and 15 Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A couple of things here. Um, study to show yourself approved. Studying is not what causes God to approve of you. Uh, he approves of you because of His grace. Study the Scriptures to reveal that you are one who has been approved of by God to the world. Amen. We also see that it ties back in with the work that we've been called to do. And it's the Word of God, studying the Word of God, hiding the Word of God in our hearts, becoming equipped with the Word of God that equips us to do um, the job that we've been called to do without embarrassment, without, without you know, holding our head like we've failed or that, we, that, that we've you know, somehow missed out. But then he gives us this last instruction, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Now we spent um, really pretty much an hour and 40 minutes on that one subject um, last week. I'm not going to try to, you know, rehash all of that. If you weren't, you know, if you haven't accessed that, if you haven't uh, watched or listened to that class yet, please do so. Please do so. Um, and, we, and we looked at the importance of dividing the word instead of trying to, uh, you know, balance the word. And, and we really focused on the difference between the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Testament, the New Covenant. And we said that... Um, one of the great problems we have in the church today is so many of God's people are trying to live in the New Testament with an Old Testament mindset. And this goes back to not knowing how to rightly divide the Word of God or sitting under pastors and teachers um, who do not know how to correctly or rightly divide it. So, one last thing uh, that uh, I want to point out to you is we said that the revelation of the nature and personality of God is progressive. And I put that on the screen if you're watching, if you're listening, I put progressive in all caps to emphasize it. The revelation of the nature and personality of God is progressive throughout the Scriptures. This simply means that by the time Jesus arrives, we know much more about Him than we did uh, in, say, the book of Leviticus. All right? So as the, as the Bible unfolds, who God is, who he truly, uh, what He's truly like, um, uh, is, is revealed uh, to us. So that means we have more understanding uh, of who God is and what He's truly like today than at any other point uh, you know, in, in, in history, especially uh, those who lived in the Old Testament. Now, 
When we talk about knowing the Bible, knowing the Bible is important. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But that's too vague for what we're trying to do here, to just simply say knowing the Bible or knowing the Bible better. We said specifically we must learn two key things. We must learn to rightly divide the Word of God, and that's what we talked about last week. And what we're going to talk about tonight is we also must learn to skillfully apply the Word of God. How to rightly divide it, and then how to skillfully apply it. One is dependent upon the other. In other words, you cannot skillfully apply the Word of God if you do not first know how to rightly divide it. So let me give you an example. Somebody comes to you, um, they've been born again, but they're struggling with guilt, and um, as you begin to talk to them, right, if you, know, if, if you go back into the Old Testament and try to apply that uh, covenant and that approach uh, to God, remember the Old Testament we said last week was about performance. You know, it, it was about what have you done for God lately? And, and more than likely, the person who's been born again that's feeling guilty and still, you know, condemned is because they still have that mindset, right? So notice, if you, if, you, if you don't know how to rightly divide it, you're in no position to skillfully apply it. And this is one of the reasons why so, reasons why so many people are confused in the body of Christ today. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. I know that we discussed these verses maybe about... 30, 40 seconds uh, at the end of last week's uh, class. Um, so I want us to go back to them now tonight, and, um, and we'll uh, launch off into some uh, uh, new things. Amen. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12. Hebrews 5, we'll begin at verse number 12. It says this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of, of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, the writer of Hebrews is talking about a group of people who have been born again now for some time. We don't know how long. Um, it, it could been, have been years. It, it could have been decades um, that they, you know, since they have called upon the name of the Lord and received salvation. What we do know is that they've been born again and in the church long enough that they should be teaching others. They should be ministering to others. They should be serving others, but notice that they're in no position to do that because they need someone uh, instead to teach them again the first principles of the oracles of God. And he says that after all this time, you've come to need milk and not solid food. Now, in one of our earlier classes, we, we talked about how the Bible references stages of physical, biological growth and development to compare our spiritual growth and development to. So the Bible references those who are as spiritual babies or infants, those who are as spiritual children, and then those who are as spiritual adults, or those who are of full age. And we see that uh, pattern mentioned here. So he's saying that these folks uh, still require milk, like from a bottle, when they should be 
uh, eating solid food, the meat of the Word. The Bible says to newborn believers to desire the sincere milk of the Word. But at some point, a baby has to pro progress from milk to eating solid food. And it's only by eating that solid food is that child able to grow and, de and develop uh, and, you know, into the, into the full-grown adult uh, that God created them to be. And so that's true when it comes to the things of the Spirit as well. At some point, we have to move from milk to meat. Now, remember, it's a lot easier to fix a bottle than it is to uh, fix uh, beef roast with potatoes and carrots uh, and, and, and green beans. Um, it's a lot easier to drink milk uh, and digest milk than it is to chew up and swallow meat, potatoes, carrots, green beans. It's a lot harder to digest those things, all right? So what we're seeing here then is, is, a, is a parallel. There are a lot of folks who do not want to put the extra time and effort into the Word of God to, to begin to uh, you know, feast on the, the, the heavier, if you will, sustenance that's found within the Bible. And so this is the case of the folks that's being referenced here in Hebrews chapter 5. Now, there's a lot that we could also uh, look at here, but one of the key things, at least for our study tonight, is I want you to notice that he says everyone who partakes only of milk. So the ones who partake only of milk are the ones who are still spiritual babies after all this time, but he says that the characteristic that leaves them in this state of spiritual immaturity is that they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Now, we have much to say and important things to say about the subject of righteousness. And we've already mentioned some of that as we've gone along. Um, remember, uh, the only way to be right with God in the eyes of God is to receive that as a gift from Jesus. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right with God. You have to receive it, humble yourself, and submit to the gift of righteousness that's being offered to you. And this is, again, an, an area, a teaching, can we use the word, a doctrine in the Bible that a lot of people are confused by, a lot of people are ignorant of. So he says they're unskilled in the word of righteousness. Remember, we've already said that this word is instruction in righteousness. So when he's talking about unskilled in the word of righteousness, the word of God is the word of righteousness. It's the word of right standing with God. If we're going to be right with God, right, then, then we, we find out what that is and how we do that and how we live that from the Word of God. So the righteousness part is, again, very important. We will spend more time on it in the future. But there's another word there, and I guess based on tonight's a title, it's a clue as to that, the word that I'm referring to, and that's the word unskilled. Notice he did not say they uh, were unknowledgeable. He didn't say that they didn't know. He said that they did not have skill. It's one thing to know about something. It's another thing to know how to do something. And this signifies one of the issues, one, another problem that we have in the body of Christ today. You have a lot of people who know about God and who know about the Bible, but they've never looked at the Bible as a 
as a skills, uh, as a skill set, as a skills book. They, they look at it as a, as a book to study and learn and know about so that they can, you know, talk intelligently with other people or even argue their beliefs. But he's not talking about arguing beliefs here. He's talking about the Word of God becoming a developed skill in your life. Okay? There is an important difference then between knowing the Bible and being able to skillfully apply it. Let me uh, give you a few verses right quick on that subject. James chapter 1, verse 22. The Bible there says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves. It's extremely important for us to hear the word of God. But if we only hear it and never take the next step um, and, 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 and attack the learning curve of, of, of being able to apply it skillfully to our lives, Hearing the Word then can actually lead us into self-deception. How does that work? Well, let me try to explain it to you. There's something life-giving about hearing the Word of God. There's something that's, that's very encouraging. I sometimes use the expression, hearing the Word of God, you know, the right Word from God spoken in the right time. Um, it's like breathing the fresh air of heaven. And so you can go to church and you can hear a sermon. You can come to class or, or log in online or, or what have you. And you can hear somebody preaching and teaching the Word of God. And it can be like water to your thirsty soul. And, it, and it, can, it can be refreshing to you. And it can make you feel better about your situation and make you feel better about yourself. But where the deception comes in is when we are only satisfied with hearing and knowing something that makes us feel better in the moment and we never take the next step to begin to actually apply these things to our lives in a practical way on a daily basis. So being a, he said, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only because this will lead to self-deception. Now turn with me to Matthew the 7th chapter. Matthew chapter 7. And this, again, there are so many verses that, that we could exhaust on this uh, subject. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's do this one, a few verses in Matthew, and, uh, and then I think that'll, that'll be enough for now anyway. Um, so, again, not just knowing the Bible, but uh, you know, skillfully applying it. I just want to give you uh, one, out of, one verse out of James and a few out of Matthew, uh, because here we have, uh, of course, uh, Jesus Himself speaking. Uh, this is the part written in red, remember? <laughs> so this would be uh, Supreme Court stuff, praise God, when it comes to understanding um, our... You know, walk with God and and what it is that we're to do with His Word. So, verse 24. Therefore, Jesus speaking, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now I was teaching at the Foundry on, let's say, Tuesday morning, and one of the things that I was pointing out uh, to the, the beautiful men and women there is how, you know, there are so many things that Jesus taught us that, you know, he, he used in the parable, in the story, um, things that were consistent 
um, so that he could better emphasize that which was different. It was helping us see very clearly. And so in this story, we have two people who both built homes, who both experienced uh, the rain descending, the floods coming, and the winds blowing, beating on their house. One person's house stood, the other one fell. So we have, again, across the board, uh, things that uh, are basically identical. Why did one man's house fall and why did one house man stand? The, man, the man's house that fell was a man who built his house on sand. The man whose house stood is the man who built his house on the firm foundation, on a rock, right? So the emphasis here, though, is even deeper than that because Jesus is saying the one who hears these sayings of mine and does them compared to the man who hears these sayings of mine but does not do them. I like to say it this way, simplify it this way. The difference is in the doing. The difference is in the doing. I'm going to say it one more time. The difference is in the doing. These men heard the same things. One man heard and did, was a doer of the word, doer of what he heard. The other man heard. He got knowledge based on what he heard. He never did anything with it. And it, and it caused his life to be built on a, uh, a, a shifting, if you will, uh, foundation, uh, shifting sand. And so when pressure came, when life happened, uh, this man uh, collapsed, but the one who heard and did, did not. So do you see very clearly what Jesus is emphasizing here? The same thing that we saw in James, same thing that we see in Hebrews 5. Now, I want to uh, take some time now to show you some things about the Word of God pertaining to um, applying it or developing, utilizing skill based upon um, the Word itself, right? So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 23. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 23. I want you to, um, I want you to turn to this one. I'm, gonna, I'm fixing to give you quite a few verses this might be a good opportunity for you just to write down the main point and the references under them if you're taking notes um, because we, it, it would take a while for us to you know, just pause for you to look up every verse. Um, the, the key thing here that I'm wanting you to see um, is, is how the Word of God can be under, understood or how using the Word of God can be understood, understood as a skill to um, develop. All right? And so... The first thing that we see uh, from the Word of God is that the Word of God um, is seed. The Word of God is seed. It's not like seed, it is seed. Okay? And so I just went and put both verses on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says this, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Then if we go over to Mark chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus told us the parable of the sower. It was about a man planting seed. But what we find out is that the parable was about the Word of God being sown or the Word of God being planted. So what we see in these two verses is that the Word of God is seed. I'm going to show you, if not tonight, next week, where we're instructed 
to take the Word of God and to plant it in the heavens. To plant it in the heavens. Okay? So, we must plant the heavens with the Word of God. So, we've got to understand then that the Word of God is seed. Now, my uh, dad, my, my father, uh, he has planted gardens. Uh, my grandfather's, uh, they, they planted gardens. You might even call them farmers. You know, they, they had big uh, gardens or fields, you know, of things and, and stuff that they planted. And if, so if you've ever, you know, grown corn, tomatoes, okra, uh, th these kinds of things, then um, you know that there is some skill involved in taking a handful of seed and a plot of ground and, and bringing forth a harvest of, of, of vegetables uh, to feed your family and, and, and other people. So when we talk about using seed and, and releasing the potential that's in a seed, there is a skill set uh, that, that, go that goes along with that. So the Word of God is seed. If we're going to become skillful with the Word of God, we're going to have to learn how to take the Word of God and plant it. Right Now, let me give you uh, number two. Number one, the Word of God is seed. Number two, the Word of God is light. The Word of God is light. Psalm 119.105 says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 130, that's a long psalm right there. It says, The entrance of your Word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So, um, have you ever had someone that, that was trying to resolve some problem or some situation in their life and they needed someone to shine some light on the situation? They needed someone who, who could illuminate something that they were maybe blinded to or, or couldn't see clearly. So, again, the Word of God, it's not like light, it is light. When the Word of God is brought into a situation, it brings a, a fresh perspective. It provides light on the subject, amen, that is not available uh, anywhere else. So the Word of God is light. Now, this one, I think, is probably low-hanging fruit. Some of you may already be ahead of me. But we also see, number three, that the Word of God is a sword. The Word of God is a sword. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Which is the Word of God. So again, I, I know I keep saying the same thing over and over, but this, these are not uh, you know, like you know, examples or metaphors, or, or I, I probably use that word incorrectly all the time. He's not saying it's like a sword. He's saying it is a sword. He's not saying it's, it's like light. It is light. He's not saying that it's... It, it, think of it as seed. He's saying, no, it is seed. And so the Word of God is a sword. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, number four, the Word of God is a fire. The Word of God is a fire. This is Jeremiah 23, uh, 29. It says, Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, 
and the hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. So that's obviously number five. That's the fifth one. The Word of God is a hammer. So if we go back through it real quick, seed, light, sword, fire, hammer. Wow. All right. So let's, let's take sword. It might be the easiest. It might be the easiest uh, for us uh, to consider. If the, if the Word of God is a sword, and it is, okay, so let me, let me rephrase that. Because the Word of God is a sword, it is an offensive weapon to be used in battle. Since the Word of God is a sword, how do you think you would swing that sword? Well, if the Word of God is seed, how do you think you would plant those seed? If the Word of God is a hammer that will break the rock in pieces, how do you think you chip away at the obstacles in your life? Well, if it's words that are a sword, you swing the sword by speaking the Word. If the words are seed, you plant the seeds by speaking the words. If the Word of God is a hammer and it'll break the rocks in pieces, then how do you break the rocks? How do you move the obstacles out of your way? By speaking the Word of God directly to the obstacles. Did Jesus not say that if you would say to the mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, that it, and believe in your heart, do not doubt, but believe in your heart, that it would obey you. So again, the Word of God is to be understood in this way. It's not just uh, a good book that, that gives us uh, knowledge or understanding. It is a, a, a living book that we need to understand how to utilize skillfully in our lives. In Ephesians, when he talks about the Word of God is a sword, if, if you're familiar with this passage, he's talking about the, um, the, the armor of God. He's talking about spiritual armor, the helmet of salvation, shield of faith, all these things. Every one of the pieces of armor that's referenced there is a defensive implement. It's something to protect you in battle. The only uh, offensive weapon that we have is the sword of the Spirit, and it's the only offensive we weapon we have because it's the only offensive weapon we need. And the sword of the Spirit is what? It is the Word of God. So if we're going to engage the enemy in spiritual warfare, and especially if we're going to do more than just defend ourselves, but actually go on the offensive, then we're going to have to learn how to swing the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So we swing that sword by speaking the Word of God. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, turn with me now back to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Praise the name of the living God. Let me encourage you to do something. Let me encourage you to do something tonight. Praise God. I want you to um, homework, okay? We're not class sitting over, but homework. I want you to um, pick a situation in your life that you need some answers for, you need some breakthrough in, you need um, to see some progress you know, made in that area. And I want you to begin 
to plant the Word of God. I want you to begin to swing the hammer of God's Word um, at whatever obstacle is in your way that's being stubborn and, and doesn't seem to want to move. All right? um, you've got my email address, mark at hccnow.org. If you're not sure what verses to use, feel free to email me. I'll be more than happy to help you with a few of my favorites and direct you to some that might become some of your favorites. But if there's some you know, situation in your life that you need some breakthrough, you need some resolution, you need some results in that area, then what we need to do is find out what the Word of God has to say about that situation and begin to speak the Word of God to that situation. If it's healing, for instance, 1 Peter 2.24, among other things, says, By His stripes you were healed. So you begin, to, you begin to speak the Word of God. You begin to go on the offensive uh, with the Word of God to experience the results in your life that you uh, desire to experience. You say, I've never really done anything like that before, Pastor Mark. That seems kind of different or odd. We didn't do that in the church that I was raised in. Listen to me, please. I'm not trying to offend anybody. But what did he say about you know, needing milk versus you know, the meat of the Word? And why were those people still spiritually immature? It's because they never developed any skill, any ability whatsoever to take the Word of God and apply it to their lives and to their situations in a practical way. Remember, I didn't, I didn't emphasize it this week. I did read it. But that, as we read on through those verses, he said, which by reason of use, by reason of use. Um, in other words, those who are, who are full of a full age have become that way by reason of use, by, by taking these things and doing them and applying them to their lives. Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 1. And let's begin at verse number 1. It says this, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Wow, what an introduction to a very important book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews. Now, he's beginning with instructions on right division, rightly dividing. Notice he says, God at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Remember what we said last week. The law and the prophets were till John the Baptist. Jesus came to usher in a new era. So we see that in the past, at different times and in different ways, um, He spoke to the forefathers of the Jewish people by the prophets. But in these last days, so notice there is a difference here. He's talking about these two different eras. Has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Spoken to us by His Son. Now He tells us some things about His Son. 
the Son that He has appointed heir of all things, the same One through whom also He made the worlds. And this Son is the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholds all things by the word of His power. When, man, you, <laughs> praise God, there's just a lot here. When He had by Himself purged our sins. He's talking about what Jesus did for us on the cross. What did He do? He went and sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Now, there's a lot for us to unpack here. One of the first things that I want you to see is the difference between God speaking to His people in times past by the prophets and Him speaking to us now in these last days uh, through the person of His Son. There was something in my life that, um, that, that troubled me for a lot of years. And it was a wonderful day when the Lord revealed uh, the answer to me in this very simple statement. Okay, And I want you to pay very close attention to it and I'll spend a moment explaining it, all right? The answer the Lord gave to me was this. He said the personality of the prophet was not necessarily a reflection of my personality. The personality of the prophet does not necessarily reflect the personality of God. Now, you say, Pastor Mark, what, what are you talking about? What, what, <laughs> what, what answer is that? Well, here's, here's the answer, right? Um, you, would, you would see in the Old Testament, prophets do things, you know, like when they called, you know, people, kids that made fun of a prophet because he was bald-headed, and the prophet called, uh, you know, a mama bear out of the woods to eat the kids. I mean, it's like something out of some kind of horror movie or something, you know. And so people tend to try and understand the nature and personality of God by studying the personalities and, and natures of the Old Testament prophets. My friend, you cannot do that. The Old Testament prophets were more like mouthpieces for God. Certainly they had a portion of God's Spirit upon them, but none of them were born again. Now, I don't have it in my notes right now, we will certainly address it at a later date. But Jesus said this of John the Baptist. Remember, John the Baptist was the last prophet of the Old Testament law and prophets. The law and the prophets were until John. Okay? But since John, the kingdom has come and now people are pressing in. They're trying to get into it. This is what Jesus said. Listen very carefully. Jesus said the greatest prophet born of a woman was John the Baptist. Okay? But the least in the kingdom of heaven, the least in the kingdom, is greater than John. Okay, Now, how, do you, how is someone in the kingdom? The only way to be in the kingdom, as Jesus taught us in John 3, is to be born again. So he's saying that someone who has been born again in the kingdom, in this new era of God's grace, in this new testament, this new covenant, he's saying that someone who has been born into this kingdom because of the blood of Jesus, they've been born again. And even if they are the very least in the, in the kingdom of the new era, they are greater than the greatest prophet in the old era. 
Now, I know that may be hard for some of you, and I wish I probably shouldn't have brought it up without showing you the verses. There's a lot more for us to explain there. But I'm simply trying to show you. Let, let, me, let me give you another example. We talked about it last week. Jesus is, Jesus is transfigured. Moses is there. Elijah's there. And Peter, James, and John see this. Peter says, I think we should build a tabernacle, a, 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 you know, a, a place uh, for all three to, to memorialize all three. Immediately, immediately, Moses representing the law, Elisha representing the prophets were gone. Father God, one of the rare occasions he speaks audibly, his audible voice heard by human beings on planet earth, and he says, this is my son, hear him, hear him. Okay, So that's not, again, to, to do away with or diminish in any way um, what God said to us and revealed to us through the Old Testament prophets. But we have to remember, these men were not born again. These men were not filled with God's Spirit. These men had a portion of the Spirit of God resting upon them. So, when we say that the personality of the prophet was not necessarily the personality of God, this is one of the things, if you look closely at this verse, that, that is being emphasized here by the Holy Spirit as He inspires these words spoken to you and me tonight. He's saying that in times past, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. The literal translation of this, and I'll put it up on the screen, is in these last days, Father God is speaking to us in the person of His Son. One translation says, through the person of His Son. What does that mean? Well, it simply means this, that Jesus is, is revealing God to us both in what He says out of His mouth and in the way that He carries Himself, in the way that He lives. Let's go back to the personality of the prophet not being an accurate um, depiction or an accurate revealing of the nature uh, and the personality of God. Remember, we mentioned this already, Jesus wanted to cut through Samaria. The Samaritans were in a bad mood and said no. The disciples were offended. They were going to take up for Jesus, not to mention they were miffed themselves. And so they said, Jesus, let's call fire down from heaven and burn them alive. And Jesus says, hold on a second. You have no idea what you're saying. And not only that, He says, you do not know what spirit you are of. For the Son of God did not come to take life but to give it. Where did they get the idea of calling fire down from heaven and burning people alive? That was something from the Old Testament, right? Now, listen to me, please. I understand some of you, I can almost hear you thinking it, all right? I understand, yes, God is a God of judgment. Yes, God is a God of justice. Yes, um, it's a terrible thing uh, to fall into His hands one, one day at the day of judgment. Uh, and to have rejected Him and to rejected all that He's done for you. And there is punishment, absolutely, positively. But my brother my sister, please hear me. This is not the day of judgment. And even if it was the day of judgment, you are not the judge. I am not the judge. Praise God. So, I said all that to say the, the fundamental difference, what is being emphasized here, if you dig into this deep enough to the original language, is He's emphasizing that Father God is not just speaking through Jesus, 
but he's living through Jesus. This is why Jesus said things like, I can't do anything without my Father. This is why Jesus says, I don't say a word unless my Father tells me to say it. This is why Jesus says things like, I don't do anything unless my Father tells me or shows me to do it. All right? So the whole idea is Jesus' assignment was to come to this earth and not just be a mouthpiece for God, speaking God's message to humankind, but He was to reveal God to us both in the way that, that He lived as well as in the things that He said. Let me give you, stay right here in Hebrews 1 because we're far from finished with this passage, but let me give you um, a verse out of John chapter 1. John 1 and 18, it says this, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Now, this word declared, it's a very important word. Very important words. So we think declared, again, that's, that's, that sounds like we're speaking, that we're, that we're saying something, all right? Um, if you declare something, if you declare supper's ready, okay, well, the family's going to come, you know, pour into the kitchen. But when it says that Jesus has declared him, notice the context. The context is in no one has seen God at any time, but Jesus has declared him. Jesus has declared him. This word declare means, are you ready? To make known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and finally. I love it. Declare means to make known. Notice no one has seen God at any time, but Jesus has come to this earth to make Him known. To make Him known completely. In the Old Testament, remember, 950 different ways throughout the Word of God that, that God has identified Himself to us, each name revealing something else about who He is and what He's like, His nature, His character, His personality. Amen. So, but it wasn't until Jesus came that the complete picture is, is, is available for us to see and know. Jesus, no one's seen God at any time, but Jesus came to make Him known. He came to make Him known completely. Completely as opposed to incompletely. Thoroughly. Thoroughly, meaning He left no stone unturned. And then, particularly. Particularly means the particular details. Particularly means, um, you know, not just broadly, not just generally, but specifically or particularly. And then also, I love it, and finally. Finally. Now, we've already been through some of this already. I gave you my quote, one of my favorite quotes from Bill Johnson, Jesus is perfect theology. And, and, and of course, what we know is that Jesus, again, came to this earth to make a God that no one has seen at any time uh, known. And, and not just partially known, but to make Him known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and finally. This is why I tell you early and often, if you have some idea about God, His nature, His personality, who He is and what He's like, that cannot be found in the earthly life of Jesus, then you have a wrong understanding, opinion, or idea about God, right? Now, if, if this said to make Him known better, uh, to make Him known more, uh, to, to make Him uh, 
more understandable, more visible. Okay, I got that. But that's not what this says. This says, again, Jesus came to make Him known completely. That's why if, if, uh, if, if you can't find it in the earthly ministry of Jesus, you have a wrong understanding of who God really is and what He's really like. If, if you think God does something today, um, but Jesus didn't do it while He was on this earth, then again, you need to bring your understanding into alignment. Because Jesus didn't make Him known partially. He made Him known completely. He made Him known thoroughly. In other words, there were, there were certain situations that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into so that we could see how Jesus would respond in that situation, so that we could see who God is and how God would respond in that situation. So think about it for a moment. If you want to see what Father God thinks about people caught in the act of sin, Jesus found Himself in a situation where a woman was caught in the act of a sexual sin, thrown at His feet without even any clothes on. Are you hearing me? Okay? And, and so, did He kick her? Did He spit on her? Did he, did he scream at her? No, He loved her. He loved her. He had mercy and compassion on her. So again, if you want to see what God thinks about children, in Jesus' day and age, children were to be seen and not heard. For that matter, in my father's day and age, when he was a kid, children were to be seen and not heard. But, but again, that was not Jesus' attitude. When the children started climbing on Jesus and the disciples, get these kids out of here, Jesus said, oh, oh, oh no, no, no. You allow these children. You allow them to come. For such is the kingdom. Right? Again, he's in a situation. How about racial situations where, where there's, 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 there's racial tension? Did Jesus find himself in those situations? Yes. How did, how did God handle it? How about this? I got any ladies in the audience tonight? Women have been uh, devalued, mistreated, underappreciated throughout history. And if you think it's true in 21st century America or wherever part of the world you may be living in, you have no idea how women were, were, were valued uh, in, in Jesus' day and age. Jesus, my friend, has done more to elevate the importance, worth, and value of womanhood than any other human being in history. Again, came to make Him known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and finally. Amen. So that we can... How can you love somebody you don't know? How, how can you love somebody that, that hides from you and, 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 and doesn't want to, to, to reveal their true personality and true nature to you? Somebody who wants to play mysterious and keep you guessing and, and all of these other things. My friend, please hear me. That is not who our Heavenly Father is. Okay? So let me give you John 1.18, just inserting the meaning in. I put it in, in, in italics. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known completely, thoroughly, particularly, and finally. Now, I even want to go back to that first phrase in verse 18. The Holy Spirit just keeps gently prompting me. The context of this is no one has seen God at any time. Now, what we need to understand about that, though, is this. We do know that in the Old Testament, people saw what would be a pre-incarnate form of God. Okay, um, in, in other words, before Jesus became a flesh, that, you know, it, it was God in a... You know, incarnate means coming in the flesh. Before Jesus came in the flesh. Let's just, here's a classic example. God wanted to see Moses. I mean, Moses wanted to see God, wanted to look on His face. God said, you can't look on my face and live, son. 
uh, and, and so he remember God hit him in the cleft of the rock. He walked past him and he let Moses see his hinder parts, literally his backside. Okay, you can't tell me God didn't have a sense of humor. So, <laughs> so to say that no one's seen God at any time, um, we know that people have caught glimpses, partial glimpses, types and, and shadow glimpses. So what is he saying? He's saying that no one has seen God for who He really is up until now. Everybody, everybody up until this point has, has been using the, the best information that's been made available to them. But now, we have God living among us in the flesh, revealing Himself to us, both in what He does and in what He says. Wow. How about this one? John 14 and 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Or how can you say, show us? So how can you say, show us the Father? So the conversation that this is pulled out of was Philip saying, Jesus, every doubt, every question that we have would be, would be answered if you would just show us the Father. And Jesus looks at him, I believe, a little bit like, Philip, you don't know what you're saying. Because notice what Jesus said of Himself. If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I think a lot of people have this idea that it's kind of like good cop, bad cop. You know, it's like that Father God is kind of the heavy hand and Jesus is the, is the merciful one in the Trinity. That Father is the, is, the, is the stern judge and Jesus is kind of the happy-go-lucky, you know, wears Birkenstocks and, and you know, burns scented candles and just kind of lets everybody get away with everything. And, and, no, 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 please, that's not, that's not what's going on here. Je- Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Amen. So he says, how can you say, show us the Father? What do you, let me, can I give you the New Wins International paraphrase of this? What do you think I've been doing the last three years with you, Philip? I've been showing you exactly, particularly, specifically, thoroughly, completely who he is. All right, now. Back to our passage in Hebrews. The word of His power. The word of His power. Um, Let's see, do I need to put it back up on the screen? I I believe I will. Let's put it back up on the screen. Amen. All right, let's go. Uh, That's one, two, and, um, and three. All right? So that verse three, speaking of Jesus... Uh, hold on, thank you, Holy Spirit. Um, so, he, in these last days, He's spoken to us through the person of His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. So, one last thing about Jesus revealing who God truly is, His true nature, true personality to us, all right? That, that express image of His person. Express image of His person. Um, if, if you've ever used a manual typewriter, okay? Now, man, I've been using this example for probably 20 plus years. And, um, <laughs> you know, in those days at least people still had electric typewriters. And those things are pretty much boat anchors now as well. But a manual typewriter, for those of you who don't know what that is, 
don't do it now, but Google it later. Um, you would push, let's say you wanted to type the letter S. So you typed, you pushed the letter S, you know, really hard with, with your finger. And when you did that, an arm inside the typewriter corresponded to you pushing that. When you pushed it, it, it manipulated an arm to swing up and slap the paper that you were typing on. And the idea was that there was a ribbon between that little arm and the paper that when it slapped the paper, the, the letter S was, was uh, protruding out on that key and it slapped the paper. It literally made an imprint in the paper and left the, 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 the carbon in the ribbon you know, in the recesses of the paper. And that's how you got an S by typing an S on a manual typewriter. Now, I know it took a minute there to explain that to you, but this is what he's saying, express image of his person. In other words, Jesus would be like that arm on the typewriter. And if you wanted to, 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 um, to make an imprint of God on your page, then you would push the key and, and he would slap the page and he would leave an express image of the person of God on that page. That, that arm would leave the express image of the S. It would leave the express image of the, of the H. It would leave the express image of the O, if you're typing the word show, an express image of the W. Each one that you clicked slapped the paper and it left an express image. In other words, what was on that was... The, the typewriters even in... I'm, I get excited about this, so just hang with me for just a minute, okay? Um, those things were so unique that the FBI could use them to solve crimes. In other words, if someone wrote a kidnapping letter, um, because typewriters were so individually, specifically unique, they could take that letter and match it to a typewriter, if, if possible, to prove, you know, at least this person's typewriter typed that letter. So that's how specific, that's how particular uh, they were. So when we say that Jesus was the express image of God's person, he, the imprint that he has left from his life is the express image of God himself. Wow. All right, now, notice after that phrase, there's a comma, and upholding all things by the word of his power upholding all things by the word of his power. Let me take a breath. Let me step back here just real quick to give you the bigger picture of what we're talking about. We're talking about the word of reconciliation. Let's not forget this, okay? And we're talking about uh, skillfully applying the word, and now we're shifting over into the word of his power. Remember, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given the tool of the, the word of reconciliation to be effective in that ministry. You have to understand, you have to understand um, how important, how powerful, how um, uh, life-changing the Word of God is to fully understand why the Word of Reconciliation has been given to us in order to be effective, right? Uh, so again, to point out one more time, this is for you to benefit from personally use in your own life personally, but also from the perspective of equipping you to minister to and help other people. 
to minister to and help other people. All right. So, he says here, the word of his power. Not the power of his word. Now, it's, if, if you were to say in another context the power of his word, you wouldn't be wrong. Okay? So it's not like if you say it backwards, because I've certainly said it backwards many times. I used to say it backwards when I would read this passage because it just, you know, I would think, well, like it didn't matter that it was the same thing. Word of his power, power of his word. And I just preferred to say power of his word until the Holy Spirit convicted me about it because it, he's emphasizing something here that we need to be aware of. So again, not the power of his word in this verse. He didn't say the power of his word. He said the word of his power. So why is he saying it this way? And what is the fundamental difference? The fundamental difference is this. God's words, listen to me very carefully. God's words are the conduit through which his power flows. His words become the pipeline that carry his power into a situation. Remember, the entrance of His Word gives light and brings understanding to the simple. So when the Word of God is skillfully applied in a situation, that Word becomes the shaft through which the light of God Himself can pass through and enter into that situation. So the Word of His power is speaking of God's words being the conduit that brings His power on the scene, that brings His power into a situation, that brings His power into a, a, a person's heart, into a, a person's life. Again, it's a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. It's seed that releases potential and, and, and fruitfulness. It's a, it's a fire that, 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 that burns uh, up the, the, the chaff and the, and the clutter and the things... That, that, that don't belong. It's a sword that, that you can literally use to run through devils and, and demons in warfare. So the Word of God is the conduit through which His power flows. Let me, let me tell you how I think a lot of people see this. And this is one of the ways when I began to realize that the Word of His power is not, does not mean the same thing as the power of His Word. Okay? And I began to try to think of it like a, 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 someone can speak and their words can be powerful. And, you know, they can be powerfully positive and they can be powerfully negative. You know, somebody can say something very hurtful to you. you know, the, word, the words that they speak carried pain. And, 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 or, you know, like a Dr. Martin Luther King and you know, he's a powerful orator. He motivated people. He, he stirred people to action, okay? Um, but, but listen, that's, that's not, I'm not saying that God's words don't motivate us and stir us to action and inspire us and all that. Yes, yes, and yes. But this is not what he's saying here. His words, remember, his words are, are, are living and powerful. And so when he says the word of his power, He's talking about His um, power being, I'm going to use another word, conveyed. Think of a conveyor belt. You know, we, we've got uh, 
uh, some folks, friends that, you know, working at the new Amazon plant here uh, locally. And they talk about just everywhere you look in that however many thousand square foot, how many hundred thousand square foot building. You know, it's just conveyor belt. What are those conveyor belts doing? They put packages on them and they're, and they're carrying them. So when we talk about God's Word conveying um, His power, His power is conveyed through His words. Let me give you um, a couple of examples. This is one of my favorites. Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent His Word and healed them. He sent His Word and delivered them from their destructions. So, does it take some, I'll swap the word power for force. Does it take some force to bring healing when someone is sick or their body is broken in some way or has uh, been injured or harmed in some way? Yes, the power of God to heal. How is one of the main ways that Father God can bring His healing power into a situation to bring healing into a person's body. His healing power flows through His Word. So He sent His Word and healed them. The Word of His power. God has healing power and He sends that power to heal you through, conveys it to you through His words. The same with deliverance. Bringing people out of desperate and difficult situations. Destructive harmful situations. He sent His Word and delivered them from their destructions. Oh man, I pray you're picking up what I'm, what I'm putting out there for you uh, this evening. Let me give you another one. Proverbs 4 and 22. Speaking again of the Word of God. Their life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. When you take the Word of God into your life, when you take the Word of God into your heart, through your eye gate, through your ear gate, when you take the Word of God in, you are taking in a conduit of life and health. Something that can touch you spirit, soul, and body. Mentally, emotionally, motivate you, uh, strengthen you, encourage you from the inside out. This is what we mean by the Word of His power. So, or what God means rather by the Word of His power. Now, <clears throat> let me remind you that being skillful in the Word means being able to speak the Word of God so that the power that resides in the Word of God can flow through those words into a situation in your life, some kind of circumstance, some kind of obstacle in your life. You know that you, it, you need it to move. Maybe let's just, let's just get specific about it. Let's say that you've got some legal obstacles Dear friend of mine had some legal obstacles out on the West Coast that, that uh, years ago preventing him uh, from getting his driver's license here in the state of Alabama. Well, we, we prayed over that. We spoke the Word of God over that situation. Now, you can't just do that and, and then not act, not, not be a doer of the Word. From after we spoke and released the, the, the Word of God and declared the favor of God over that situation, he began to make some phone calls, and every person that answered the phone, uh, friendly to him, polite to him, one particular lady that answered the phone, um, she said, uh, my son just experienced a similar situation. So she wasn't judgmental of him. She was helpful, 
And by the end of the day, he was prepared to pay fines. He was prepared to hire an attorney. He was prepared to do all these things. By the end of the day, those uh, charges had not only been dropped, but the record had been expunged. Okay? You say, well, he's just lucky. Luck had nothing to do with it. The Word of God broke those rocks, obstacles in my brother's way, broke them to pieces, moved them out of his way. Amen. So, when we talk about being able to skillfully apply the Word of God, we're talking about being able to direct the Word of God into a situation so that the power of God can flow into that situation and make the difference. Um, I don't have it in my notes right now, so I'm not going to put it up on the screen. But remember what he says in Romans 1. Paul said, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So when we present the gospel message uh, to people who do, who, who do not know the Lord, who have not received salvation, those words become the conduit through which the power of God to save them is brought into that situation. All right, <clears throat> I want to do this for you now. I want to read these same three verses uh, out of the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 1, from the Amplified. From the Amplified. Now, they, they, if you know anything about the Amplified, it just amplifies it. It takes these words, and in the text, it will help define and clarify what these words uh, mean all the way back you know, from the original language. So, it, it's, it's, you know, if you just want to sit down and read the Bible, sometimes the Amplified is not necessarily the one uh, to do that. But if you want to study the Bible, boy, Amplified is a great resource. So, let's begin... Uh, here in verse number 1. It says this, In many separate revelations, each of, which, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in different ways, God spoke of old to our fathers in and by the prophets. But in the last of these days, He has spoken to us in the person of a Son, whom He appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by and through whom He created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time. He made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. He is the sole expression of the light being, the outraying or radiance of the divine, he is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by His mighty word of power. When He had, by offering Himself, accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt, He sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high. Now, there's a lot we already talked about here. There's other things we could go back because this either confirms or reinforces or even sheds even more light on what we've already spoken. I'm not going to take the time to do that now. But I want to pull out of this, because we're talking about the word of His power now, I want to pull out of this that phrase, upholding, maintaining, guiding, and propelling the universe by His mighty word of power. 
We also see, I'm not going to go back to it, but remember, these things were made by God, but he's emphasizing here that Jesus was, um, we might say it this way here in, 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 in the southern United States, slap dab in the middle of it. John said it this way, nothing that was made was made without Jesus. He is the eternal uh, Son of God. And <clears throat> let me, praise God, let, I'll be brief here, but let me, let me try to just give you a little bit of, of context, okay, as to where the book of Hebrews is headed and, and why the Holy Spirit chose for the book to begin this way. In the New Testament, we have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then we have the Acts of the Apostles. And in the Acts of the Apostles, we have the, the beginning of the church. We have the, you know, the, the, the ministers and, and, and when I say being organized, led by the Holy Spirit, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, all these things. Again, beautiful. Read the book of Acts, please. But then we go into like Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, um, 1 and 2 Timothy. <clears throat> All of those parts in the Bible are called epistles. And <clears throat> epistle is just a fancy word for letter. And these were letters, again, all scriptures given by inspiration, that God breathed through men to write to the church. Okay? Now, there's one exception. And the one exception is, you guessed it, the book of Hebrews. All the other letters were written specifically to the church. Written specifically to people who had already been born again. The book of Hebrews is an open letter to the Hebrew people. It's written to both born-again Hebrews and Hebrews, Jewish people, that had experienced the earthly ministry of Jesus but had not yet called upon Him to receive salvation. If you don't understand that, you're going to, again, that's rightly dividing the Word of God. If you don't understand that the book of Hebrews is different from the other letters in that main regard, then you're going to be looking at passages that are speaking to people that have not yet been saved, thinking that they're talking to people who have been, and you're going to be very confused. Okay, So, he begins, the Holy Spirit, through the writer of Hebrews, begins by addressing some of the fundamental um, problems, arguments, that people had concerning Jesus. And that's why he talks about angels, and he talks about prophets, and he talks about all of these things. Because he's trying to show Jewish people who weren't sure Jesus was the Messiah that he absolutely is the Messiah, and this is why. Okay? So we see then that he's declaring Jesus, correctly so, to be God. Um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that this same Jesus, who was known to many as just a carpenter in Nazareth, is the same Jesus that was involved in the creation of the worlds. 
and that it's the mighty word of His power that to this day, and I mean to this day, our day, October 2020, upholds, maintains, guides, and propels the universe by His mighty word of power. Now, let's take a minute and have um, some fun with this, okay? Let me, uh, I'm going to put a, a, a photograph uh, up on the screen. And, um, and what we have here um, is obviously uh, a picture of the earth. Um, you can see uh, the sun uh, shining uh, on uh, basically North America. Um, and, and of course, South America it's starting to, to dawn, if you will. But if you'll also notice um, in uh, this particular picture, we, we see the moon. And of course, we know that uh, unlike the sun, uh, the moon does not uh, produce light. It simply reflects light. And because of the positioning of the moon, uh, it's able at times to catch light from the sun and reflect it uh, onto the darkened portion of the earth. Now, for many years, um, astronomers did not believe that the moon turned on its axis. Now, if you're not familiar with that terminology, if something turns on its axis, picture a basketball with a rod ran through it, and that basketball turning um, on that rod. So the rod would, would represent the axis and the moon turning on that. We, we understood that the moon went around the earth, but we thought that the moon was stationary, that it was like a, a knuckleball, if you will, that just kind of held there. Okay, we know better than that now. Sometimes when, when I'm teaching this in person, um, I'll ask the class if anybody knows whether or not the moon uh, turns on its axis. And you'll be amazed at the number of folks who believe that it, that it doesn't, but it does. But here's why we were confused about that. We were confused about that because every time we would see the moon in its you know, different cycles in the, in the sky, it would have the same features facing us. Okay? And the answer for that is very simple. The moon goes all the way around the earth one time every 27.3 days. But it just so happens that the moon turns one complete time around on its axis, you guessed it, once every 27.3 days. Now, why is that important? Well, if I'm going to put another drawing up here, another picture up here. And this one zooms out, and it shows the moon, um, the, the sun reflecting on the earth, and the orbit of the moon around the earth. But because of the sheer weight of the moon, it literally tugs at the earth and causes the earth to tilt slightly on its axis. In other words, if, again, the earth is a basketball with a rod driven through it, the rod is not straight up and down the rod is tilted. And that has to do with the, the, the centrifugal force uh, that the orbit of the moon 
is having um, upon um, the earth. Now, if, if those two things were out of sync, in other words, if the earth was, if the moon rather was rotating on its axis uh, at one rate and orbiting the earth at another, it would not cause the earth to gently tilt and stay tilted as it also spins on its axis, but it would instead cause the earth to wobble. All right, now we're going somewhere with this, so stay, um, so stay with me. Now, we also know that the earth is turning on its axis. So it's not science class, but it's not a trick question either. Uh, once every 24 hours. So here's another uh, drawing. Um, this time uh, we've got the sun at the center and we're showing the earth going around the sun. Now we know that while the earth is um, rotating on its axis, it is also orbiting the sun while the moon rotates on its axis and orbits the earth, right? So if this sounds complicated, it's because it is. But I'm not trying to overwhelm you with the complication. I'm trying to impress you with the precision. This is precise. I was teaching not long ago on the subject of, of God as creator and, and believing that God is creator. And I asked the class a simple question. I said, you know, we're, we, we are sending, um, you know, rover machines, not yet manned uh, vehicles to Mars, but we're sending exploration robots to Mars and, and, and we're discovering things there. I said, what would we have to discover there uh, for you to be convinced that people live there, that beings live there? And, you know, it was a fun, it was a fun conversation. I was basically setting them up, though, uh, and I asked this question. I said, what if we found a watch laying in the Martian soil? Would that be enough? And I, well, of course, if there's a watch there, somebody's been there, you know, for that watch. Okay, but see, here's the thing. Um, our moon and our Earth going around our sun is as precise as any watch, and it's operating with precision on a scale that goes beyond comprehension and yet many folks believe that this somehow just randomly fell into place ideally creating this unique situation where life could form and next thing you know here we are well that to me is just unacceptable now let me go just a little deeper with this um, to make uh, a couple of more points so the earth turns once on its axis every 24 hours. In order for the earth to do this, it must spin at precisely 1,070 miles an hour. Now, we come up with that number by using this um, uh, picture. In other words, picture this in your mind. Someone suspended out of time and space over the equator with a radar gun. In other words, at that point, um, the Earth is spinning at 1,070 miles an hour. 
Aren't you glad that we're not being thrown off? That has to do with the precision nature, the precise nature of gravity. Now, we know that while the moon turns once on its axis every 27.3 days, orbits around the earth once every 27.3 days, causing the earth to tilt slightly to one side um, as it turns once on its axis every 24 hours, requiring a speed of 1,070 miles an hour to make that trip, our earth is also traveling around the sun and it goes around the sun once every 365 days, also known as a calendar year. Now, in order for the earth to go all the way around the sun one time every 365 days, the earth must travel through space at a whopping 67,000 miles per hour. Kind of pause there for a moment for you to consider that. We are on a dirt clod spinning 1,070 miles an hour hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour with such precision. With such precision. Now, um, again, I know I have people listening in different places even in the world, but here in the southern United States of America, it's becoming fall or autumn maybe where maybe what you call it where you live um, and what what's happening is things are getting cooler why is that because the earth as it's going around the sun at least where we're positioned here in Alabama is becoming ever so slightly further away from the sun again all because of the way the moon goes around the tilt of the earth all of these things creating those four seasons now before I talk any further about that, let me go back to the 67,000 miles an hour. If the earth slowed just 1% of its speed over the course of one year, the earth would come up 244,550 miles short of making that trip. Just, just that slight of a variation. So I know I've given you a lot of numbers. I know I've given you some things that are hard to follow, especially if you're listening on the podcast. The point that I'm trying to make to you, um, the points I'm trying to make to you are these. If any of this varied the slightest percentage, life would not be possible on this planet. On this planet. If, 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 if there's the slightest variation whatsoever, for instance, if the earth just got a wild hair, and decided to travel a little further away from the sun than it ever has, right? Then life on this planet would no longer work. It would no longer be possible, right? And then here is those big words again. Let's go back to them. Upholding, maintaining, guiding, propelling the universe by His mighty word, of power. So we have something as big as the earth traveling 67,000 miles an hour. Where's the engine? Where are the navigation systems? Where are the computers that's keeping all of this in alignment? If you take a flight on an airplane, they can't tell you 
exactly when you're going to land in Dallas or Germany or Sweden. They can't tell you that. They can only give you a rough estimate. Why? Because the density of the air changes. The, 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 the wind changes. You can get a tailwind and get there early. Or you can hit a headwind and run late. In spite of you know, all the global positioning systems, in spite of you know, the pilots and the computers and the jet engines and all these other things, it is very, very difficult, even for something as small as an airplane, to, 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 to operate in flight at such precision. And yet, we have a moon and an earth that's going around a sun that is operating in, in, in absolute uh, precision. So what's upholding all of this? What's maintaining all of this? We, the Lord has really blessed us with a nice building here at Heritage. And, and I, know, I know many of you are blessed with homes and so thankful for what the Lord has blessed us with. But have you figured out by now that these things require some maintenance, that you, you have to cut the grass and you have to change the light bulbs and you have to uh, clean out the plumbing every now and then and, and these kinds of things. So notice the Word of God is upholding. The Word of God is maintaining. The Word of God is guiding. The Word of God, the Word of His power is propelling not just our earth and our solar system, but the entire universe by His mighty Word of power. Let me give you some verses on it. I love this. Psalm 33, 6. By the Word of the Lord the heavens are made. All the host of them by the breath of His mouth. How about this one? Hebrews 11.3 By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. When we talk about something being upheld. We're talking about something that is being supported, that's being kept elevated. When we're talking about maintaining, we're talking about keeping it in an existing state to preserve from falling, to defend against opposition or danger. When we're talking about the Word of His power guiding, we're talking about something that steadies and directs the motion of a thing. When we're talking about propelling, we're talking about a force that imparts motion to move forward and onward. Why did I bring all those words up back again? If the Word of His power can handle these things on a universe-sized scale, then imagine what the Word of His power can do in your life. If His Word can uphold planets, His Word can uphold you. If His words can keep moons in an existing state and preserve them from falling and keep them from danger, then His Word can preserve you from falling and keep you from danger. If His Word can steady and direct the motion of a galaxy, then His Word can bring stability and steadfastness to your life and direct the motion of your life through the pathway that Father God has for you. If His Word can propel a solar system, then His Word can move you forward and onward and beyond whatever you may be facing or dealing with in your life right now. Praise the name of the living God. Praise the name of the living God. I told you when we started these, these uh, classes that there would be times when we were going to experience things that would give 
Father God, an opportunity to stretch us. Let Him stretch you now. Let, let, let Him um, use uh, the, 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 the awe of creation to impress something very important upon you and your heart and your life right now. My friend, we serve a very big God, but He is not so big that He doesn't know you by name. We serve a very big and a very powerful God, but at the same time of Him being very big and very powerful, He still sings over you while you sleep at night. Please understand that the mighty Word of His power created the worlds and holds them in place and propels them in precise uh, orbits and, 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 and with such uh, precision that it, it creates an, an environment that will sustain life on this planet that we call earth. But my friend, at the same time, His Word will work in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your situations and circumstances right here, right now, tonight. My friend, do you realize the skill that is on display, God's skill that's on display in our universe, and that skill involved him using words to produce that. And now he has given you and me his words. Praise God. Now, in case you're still not amazed, let me in the few minutes we have remaining, I want to try to show you this on a, a bit more conceivable scale. Real quick, let me run through some verses. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. And he said to them, The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, rather, is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, should sleep by night, rise by day, and the seed sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. What is he talking about here? He's talking about a mystery. I mean, you can understand the genetic engineering and modif modification of seeds, but there's still a mystery associated with why you can put the right seed in the right soil at the right time and that seed will begin to put down roots and begin to search for sunlight. I have on a shelf in my office an acorn, or an acorn, depending on uh, where you were uh, raised up, praise God. And that acorn reminds me that the largest oak tree that you can imagine is inside of that acorn. This, this is the power of seed and soil, and it's a mystery. Um, I know people who have horticultural degrees from the University of Auburn, one of the finest agricultural horticultural schools in the world. But again, there's still this mystery. So the, the farmer plants the seed, the seed sprouts and grows. He himself does not know how. Well, let me tell you why that mystery is a reality. Genesis 1 and 11. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. He repeated again in Genesis 8, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. What causes day and night on our planet? Is it not the moon orbiting the earth, the earth rotating on its axis, going around the sun? 
that causes the cold, the heat, the, the harvest, the day, the night, the winter, the summer, all of these things. Because God said, He spoke these things, and He said these things. Now, I think I'm, well, praise God, let me push on just one more time. So Mark eleven fourteen, in response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And His disciples heard it. What's going on here? Jesus is speaking to a fig tree. When He spoke to that fig tree, He said, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Verse 20, now in the morning, as they passed by, Mark eleven twenty, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Jesus spoke to that tree and told it that no one would ever eat fruit from it again. When He said that to that tree, He took that tree's purpose away from it because that tree no longer had a purpose. It shriveled up from the roots and died. Now, why am I showing you these verses? The mystery of the farmer. God said seed time and harvest. Anything you put in the earth, the earth's going to try to grow it. If you put a fence post in the earth, the earth's going to try to break it down and grow it. Why is that? Because God spoke to the earth and told it to do that. It is the word of His power that causes the seed to grow. It is the word of His power that has produced every fig, every fig tree that has ever grown, been eaten, every fig that's ever been eaten on planet earth. Are you following me? I know I'm trying to rush this here because we're out of time. What's the point? The point is this. If Jesus had said, let no one ever eat a fig on planet earth again, there would have never, every fig tree on planet earth would have dried up. Because what gave that fig tree life was His Word. And when He spoke the Word to that one tree and said, no one eat fruit from you ever again, we see that it was the Word that gave it life and it was the Word that took that tree's life away from it. One last point and I'll pray. Everything in the created realm is subject to the Word of God. Everything in the created realm is subject to the Word of God. This is why it's so devastating when human beings rebel against His Word. To rebel against the Word of God is to rebel against the very thing that created the life and planet that you exist upon. Amen. Well, praise God, you probably hear the praise team warming up in the background, we have our in-person service tonight at 7 o'clock. We're very excited about that. Hopefully you can join in with us. I know it's been a long uh, afternoon already, evening rather, uh, for you. But um, we're really in a subject right now on Wednesdays that I think will be a blessing to you. If you have a chance to check it out, it's free. Access it through some of these same channels that you're watching these classes on. Let me pray for you and we'll be done for this evening. Father, thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what your word is doing in our lives. Thank you for helping us understand it, respect it, value it, treasure it, love it, be thankful for it. But most important, all that's important. It's not most importantly, Father, but also at the same time we do all that, learn to skillfully apply it. Learn to use the word as a tool, as a sword, as a hammer, as light, as fire, as seed. Because your word conveys your power into a situation to make a difference in that situation. Father, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell somebody around you good things coming. We'll see you right here next Wednesday for class number 10, if not.
before. You be blessed.